With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. Manchester United are marching towards Wembley. A comprehensive semi-final first leg win over Forest last night means that they are all but in the Carabao Cup final. But will it be black and white or red and white joining them in that showpiece under the arch? Newcastle United saw off Southampton in their first leg, but that tie is far from over. We'll dive into the last four of the League Cup on today's show. And silverware couldn't be further away right now if you're an Everton supporter. In the relegation zone, a deal hijacked by Spurs when it was all but done, and now the owner putting the club up for sale. Mashiri has overseen madness at Goodison, and that's relative calm in comparison when it comes to the questions you've sent in to us, which we'll tackle on today's show. This is Football Social Daily, a Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. Hit subscribe now, and that way you won't miss an episode. Next week, we'll be speaking to former Premier League player Matt Jarvis. And this week, we've been talking to Manchester United legend Brian McClare. Just scroll back in the timeline to hear our chat with Brian, where he discusses Eric Cantona, Sir Alex Ferguson, David Beckham and a host more. Make sure you do that. And we've got another Manchester United legend on the way very, very soon, which we'll tell you about before too long. My name's Niall and joining me in the studio today, Joel Tudor, Marley Anderson. Morning to you both. Morning. Good morning, boys. Good, I can smell the silverware. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, it's quite poetic. If everyone yeah. remembers the bet me and Jim did, yeah. it yeah. was uh, that he thought Newcastle were going to win a trophy before Manchester United. And now we're going to find out in yeah. just three weeks' time, which is quite crazy. By the yeah. 26th of February, up, Joe, you know, you're going to pay Jim a tenner. <laughs> you could see ah, whether that tenner so. goes to charity of Jim's choice or Joel's choice. Um, I don't think Marley cares as long as Newcastle <laughs> end up winning the, well, the silverware. Both but we'll men's see. Uh, chosen charities are my back pocket, so. So, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll choose one in Newcastle just to soften the blow. Choose the Bobby Robson Foundation if you want to keep your legs. Because if we if we lose that final, if we get to the final and then we lose well, the yes. final, I'm going to come yes. in and just boot you in the knee. We'll come on to the Carabao Cup in a second, but we should mention that later on in the podcast we'll be doing AQA, which stands for Any Questions Answered. You send in your questions to us on social media and we'll try our best to tackle them. I'll warn you ahead of time, lads, there is a question in there, which is, who needs a trophy more out of Manchester United and Newcastle? We'll come to that later on. But first, we're going to talk about the Carabao Cup semi finals Starting with last night's game at the City Ground, Nottingham Forest hadn't been beaten at home in all competitions since mid-September. That was until Manchester United rolled into town for the first time in 24 years. A 3-0 win, comprehensive from Eric Ten Hag's side. Just how impressive were they last night, Joel? Yeah, I thought it was just a great reaction after that Arsenal game. Well, not just the Arsenal game, the Crystal Palace game as well, because it just felt like... 
last week the momentum was completely shot after nine consecutive wins. I was thinking, well, what team is he going to go with? Is he going to go with a strong team? Is he going to feel a m- much more weaker team with so many competitions coming up? But like you say, I think it was just a really comprehensive and professional performance where it could have easily gone the other way where, you know, you're going away to Nottingham Forest, the crowd are going to be massively on your back, um, especially considering it's a semi-final as well, two massive clubs. But I just thought the way in which they went about it, very controlled performance, obviously having Casemiro back as well was just a huge positive. And it just was a one-way, it was one-way traffic from the very start, to be honest. And you have to, of course, again, mention Marcus Rashford straight away after the sixth minute. Um, another goal from behind the halfway line where he just continues to carry it. You would never have seen that last year. And that shows you just how much confidence is in his game at the moment. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to Ten Hag as well for literally probably give, instilling the confidence in him because it seems like it had been shot for the last two years. But I thought it was just the perfect scoreline as well because like we know, there's a game every three days in February which is not going to do any good to the squad because we don't have an incredible amount of squad depth. Um, so the fact that at the return leg at Old Trafford, Ten Hag can probably play the likes of Palestri, the likes of Ilanga and be pretty calm going into that is a massive bonus for us with the amount of competitions coming up, you know, against Barcelona and a lot of vital Premier League games. So mm. it's just this perfect performance all around and result. Average of a game every three and a half days for the next two months for Manchester United. So Might need anyone, to call me up if they need well, any shortages. Or maybe not that <laughs> desperate, but anyone before the fixture who was suggesting, wow, Eric Ten Hag's gone strong. I think that, first of all, Marley signifies how seriously he's taken this competition because it could be United's first piece of silverware since 2017 and his first piece of silverware as Manchester United manager, should that be the case. And secondly, it's probably a good job they've got the job done in the first leg because that means they can afford to rest players in what, as Joel says, is going to be a mental fixture schedule for them. Yeah, it's, um, it couldn't have really gone much better. You know, I think um, as soon as... Forrest got through, I think that was when Man United would, would have been sort of licking the lips because straight away, the key for that game, for this sort of tie for me, was uh, Henderson not playing for, for Nottingham Forest. And, you know, you see the you see the two, uh, the first two goals last night. I think Dean Henderson saves both of them. I think he, he stops uh, Rashford's goal at the near post and he pushes uh, Anthony's shot out for a corner or out of danger and doesn't put it straight back into the path of Veghorst. So... As soon as you get Wayne Hennessy in goal, you've got a, you've got a decent <laughs> chance of winning, I think. Um, and obviously, they took the chances. Nice, easy game. There's no chance Forrest are going to beat Man United 4-0 at, uh, at Old Trafford or 3-0 and take it to penalties. So uh, they can they can field a few others, you know, uh, Police Street, Garnacho. Ilanga. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, Ilanga. A few defenders, maybe. Phil Jones might get a game, you never know. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but, <laughs> I want to hedge your bets on that, Marley. Yeah, um, but you know, the, the job done, isn't it? it couldn't have gone much better for them, like I say. So, on to uh, hopefully what is a, a final we all want. Well, what about Nottingham Forest, just quickly? I thought they played quite well. They had a, an equaliser ruled out for offside. Right decision. They kept Casemiro quiet, which is a difficult thing to do. I thought Gibbs, White and Johnson were both excellent, but very wasteful in front of goal. They had a number of shots, couldn't find the target two energetic players who just didn't have their finishing down on the night. Was there enough in that Forest performance, Joel, from, from your point of view, to suggest that they might stay up? I mean, you would hope so. But then again, it's a semi-final of a cup. Obviously, the performance and the adrenaline is going to be a little bit more than just a bog-standard you know, away fixture against Fulham, for example, which requires a little bit more digging deep. 
Um, but yeah, I thought, like you said, you know, Gibbs White gave Casemiro a real physical test all game where they were both, it was a really good, interesting battle in the middle. It was also absolutely poetic after they got their offside goal and they uh, replicated Ronaldo's celebration all for it to be offside in front of the United fans, which was perfect. Um, but yeah, I think with Forrest, with the amount of depth that they've got and the amount of signings that they've made, I think regardless of how, how they're doing form-wise, they've just got someone who could constantly come into the team and potentially give them that lift of quality, mm. which I think a lot of other teams below them don't have at the moment or they're in a little bit of disarray in terms of their form. So I think for Forest, encouraging signs, and I think the fans will be pleased also to not have an extra game as well um, where it's going to potentially distract them as well. Two debuts last night for Nottingham Forest, both in the midfield, Danilo and Scarpa, the two Brazilians coming into the side. And Joel's right, their form's pretty good. And in terms of me talking about them staying up, they are actually 13th in the Premier League at the moment on 21 points, which means that they are four points above the relegation zone. Looks like a decent gap at this point in time, albeit they're still three points away from 12th, the side above them, Crystal Palace. So it's very congested down there at the bottom of the Premier League table. Back to the Carabao Cup, though, as Marley says, Manchester United are probably favourites to go through and arguably win the competition. Your team went down to St Mary's to take on Southampton the day before yesterday, Marley, and it was attritional at times, I thought, for Newcastle, but they managed to find a goal, even though Joe Linton tried his very best not to Mm. (laughs) find the back of the net for the Magpies. They managed to score. Southampton, I thought, were bright, though. I thought they gave Newcastle a good game from what I saw. Is that enough of an advantage for Newcastle over Southampton going into the second leg at St James's Park? Uh, I think so, yeah. Um... Obviously, it's not done, but you look at our home form in, well, through that, throughout 2022, um, and I think we've only lost t- twice there in 2022, I think. I think that was to Man City and uh, and Liverpool as well. So, um, you know, we've not been beaten in a long time at home. I think to lose 2-0 on the verge of of our first cup final in 23 years, I think it is, because um, it would be the 2000 uh, FA Cup final, I would think, that was the last time we were in any sort of cup final. Um, you know, that that should be too much for Southampton. I think the, the atmosphere in the game would be would be uh, enough to carry Newcastle through and the talent as well between the two sides. I think um, you've got Southampton playing at the weekend in the FA Cup. We've got a full week off. Um, we've, you know, we're a better team anyway if, if everything's, you know, level playing field type of thing. Southampton is still struggling towards the bottom and still have bigger problems than getting to a Carabao Cup final if, if we're being honest so I do think uh, we're the favourites gutted I didn't get a ticket but I, I wasn't quite Charlie Cho- uh, Charlie what do you call him? Charlie off the chocolate factory that's what it's like getting Newcastle <laughs> Charlie tick- Bucket yeah Bucket at him yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Charlie Chaplin I was like what's he got to do with anything? no I was trying to think of the f- <laughs> I was trying to think of the fat girl who eats everything uh, sorry the Bruce Bogtrotter in it no, the um, oh, about, that's from Matilda. Is that isn't Matilda? It? You're on about yeah. Augustus Gloop. Yes, yeah, that's right. him. I always get a mixed. <laughs> I was thinking he's these characters. Fat kid who eats cake, and Marley's got two options to choose from. I was going to compare myself to him by trying to get a ticket, but I couldn't. I couldn't get a ticket for the second final, uh, the semi second leg. But um, yeah, probably for the best because I wouldn't have turned up to work the next day. So all right, well, if anyone can sort Marley out of the ticket to St James's Park for yeah. the. Southampton against Newcastle game in a week's time. I'll give you my Let house. us know if there's a house on the line for it for you, if you can sort him out. The ref in that game was shocking. The, the standard of referee in this season, I think, well, across all divisions has been quite poor. Yeah. But we say seem to say this every season. Maybe 
maybe I'm being harsh on the ref because you know the VAR made the mistake. I mean, Joe Linton's uh, goal for that got disallowed for handball clearly comes off his chest. Like Joe Linton should have end, walked away from that game with a hat, with a hat trick and Newcastle with a three 0 yeah. win, but. Obviously, he misses one in the second half. Terrible. He has miss. one disallowed in the first half, um, and then he scores in between the two of them. So it was one of them where it could have been better, but take one nil in the second leg. We should be enough to defend it and, uh, well, not defend it, but you know, not give it away, sort of thing. So bring on the final. It's the two Uniteds in commanding positions in the Carabao Cup semi-finals after the first legs have been completed. Forest losing 3-0 to Manchester United and Newcastle United going down to Southampton and beating them 1-0. The second legs, I think, take place next week, don't they? So we'll wait and see what happens there just to confirm who is going to be on the path to Wembley on the 26th of February. Right, next up, we're going to be talking about a club who couldn't be more distant from silverware right now. It is all going on at Goodison Park. Everton Football Club is an absolute shambles right now. And we'll bring you up to date with the latest after this on Football Social Daily. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. This is FSD, your Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. I'm Niall, Joel and Marley are with me. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you don't miss an episode of this podcast again. New podcasts every single weekday. And on a Wednesday, an interview with a special guest, a former Premier League personality. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been chatting to Brian McClare, a Celtic and Manchester United legend who's been telling us some cracking stories. So just scroll back in the timeline to find that. And next week on the podcast, we'll be hearing from former Wolves and West Ham winger Matt Jarvis, as well so make sure you don't miss that one next up though we're going to talk about Everton because it's absolute madness at the moment the last 24 hours if it wasn't painful enough for an Everton fan it's probably become even more painful as Arnout Danjuma the Villarreal winger who has all but agreed to arrive at Goodison Park this January window has now gone to Tottenham Hotspur another Premier League club after Spurs hijacked the deal late in the day and Danjuma changed his mind and is now playing his football in North London for the rest of the season. That is just one of the things that happened yesterday. Another was that Farhad Moshiri, the club's owner, has allegedly placed the club on the market and it is now up for sale. Compound that with the fact they're in the relegation zone, Marley, and they don't have a manager. It's chaos at the moment at Goodison Park. I don't think anyone, let alone those inside the club, have a clue what's going on or how to solve it. Does it feel the same for you? It does. It's uh, Everton is a total, total bin fire of a club at the minute. They have just got everything wrong, haven't they? You know, their recruitment's been wrong. The manager's been wrong. 
the, the decisions from the board have been wrong, the tactics have been wrong, everything just... And then it, you know, it just is summed up perfectly by the fact that Dan Juma is willing to leave Villarreal to come to Everton, even though he was one of the best players last season, had a bit of a sl- slower start this season, but not exactly, you know, desperate to to leave sort of thing. And he, he, he gets convinced by Everton, doesn't he? And then he says, I think he even said to Sky, um, I'll do everything I can to keep Everton in the Premier League. <laughs> And literally 24 hours later, he's holding up a Spurs shirt. And it just it just sums everything up. Because they were probably thinking, we'll get Dan Juma, we'll sell Anthony Gordon if we can, maybe to Newcastle. Don't get me started on that. But let's... Um, well, that let, probably let, means that Gordon stays at Everton now. Exactly, yeah. So that's that's through that plan into into the bin, unless they, they, can, they can find another winger from somewhere that they can get... Um, so yeah, it's uh, and then you know Mashiri gets questioned, Sax Lampard gets questioned about his his uh, his desire to keep hold of the football club, and then you know that was at the weekend, and within forty eight hours of that, he sacked Lampard and potentially or allegedly put the uh, the club on the market. But I was thinking last night, who's going to buy Everton right now? Like, if you think about Everton as a as a purchase, sort of, you know what what's got what it got going for them. No manager at the minute. Obviously, that'll change in the near future. But mm. you know, managerial uncertainty. Um, new stadium on the way. Who pays for that? Unconfirmed league status. Are they going to be in the Premier League? Are they going to be in the um, the Championship by the time the new owners come in? It's half a billion pound, which is way more than you know, two hundred million more than Newcastle, for example. And then you've got the other things. You know, the fan base. It's the second biggest club in the city, and they've got to overperform for the next twenty years yeah. to even get close to what like to to turn that tide to turn Liverpool from red to blue. Yeah, yeah. That takes twenty years of overperforming. Well, just hold your thoughts on that because there's a question later on in AQA from one of the listeners about which club would be worth more, Newcastle or Everton. So just hold your horses on that one for the time being, because Farhad Mashiri himself has said that the club isn't for sale, despite the report in the Guardian newspaper on Tuesday suggesting that the club is for sale um 500 million is the correct number the correct figure as marley says um mashiri says that he feels the pain of the fans and will do whatever it takes to win back their support do you believe him joel because i've heard farhad mashiri come out in quotes and say i back frank lampard i back the manager before that i back the manager before that and then you know it's normally the kiss of death he comes out and says i'm behind frank lampard i'm backing him they get a bad result against west ham and he given the book gives him the bullet so I just wonder whether to take what Farhad Mashiri says with a with a pinch of salt. If it is up for sale or they are looking for fresh investment, is that the outcome the support has wanted? I actually can empathise with him a little bit, and this will probably sound strange, but I feel like he's gone into this ownership so blindly in terms of the people he has around him, who's advising him. You know, you have Kia Jarabchian, one of the biggest agents in football, almost like his right-hand man in the stands at Everton, which I know comes across awfully to Everton fans. And when you look at the amount of money that's been spent, he let go of Marcel Brands, who had a really good reputation before he came. He squandered hundreds and hundreds of millions at that club. That's not of Mashiri's business. He tried to hire a guy who's going to control the money for him because you can't be in a top bowling situation where your owner's going to go out and pay, you know, two, three hundred million and you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what the football scene is. That's why you hire the right people, like what Newcastle have done with um, Ashworth coming from uh, Brighton. That's the right way to do it. With Everton, it feels like 
he doesn't understand what it takes to run a football club and I feel like he's been so misguided he's got so much misjudgment and he's not a, he's not a, um he's an, he's an, an intelligent guy he's an amazing businessman but football's a different game as we've seen you can't just throw 500 million at a club and expect to be like Galacticos and challenging for the for the top four or titles you got to have the right people in place to start to build your club and like Marley said when you look at, for example, the fact that Newcastle went for three hundred fifty million not long ago, that was probably a good price considering you had amazing infrastructure, what fifty thousand seat stadium, huge fan base, and a team which I know it's survived relegation but was ready to go on. With Everton, the stadium's falling apart. Who's going to pay for the new stadium when he comes in? Mm. I feel it's a little bit suspicious in the way all these clubs are getting put up for sale now. It feels like after that Chelsea moment where they realised how much investment is needed and how many people are prospective buyers. I think a lot of owners are realising now we don't have the money to take this era of football to the next level. I mean, it was always on the cards, though. It was always on yeah. the cards that football will financially implode. It's just too top-heavy. There's, There's too, too much, much money in there. There's, There's too, too much. much. There's so much money to the extent that Fenway, who own Liverpool, feel they can't invest anymore. So now, who's it going to go to? Who are the ultimate winners in this? The States. They're the only ones who can afford these clubs anymore. Well, the United the, States. Oh, the Nuclear <laughs> Consortium. But I mean, the, you know, the, the Emirates states or the Middle East, they're the only ones who can afford it now. Sure, you can't yeah. get a local businessman buying a club anymore no. who have the right intentions. I mean, even Sir it's, Jim it's Ratcliffe, who's been linked with buying Manchester United, should that club become available for purchase. Mm. You know, he's the wealthiest man in the country, I think, in the UK. He's the richest man in Britain. But yeah, he would probably still need he would be some outside yeah. investment. He outbid so he's, so he's, like, he's a good example because he's had money to buy a football club for a lot of years. And which one did he go and buy? Nice in France. Because yeah. it's cheap and it makes mm. more business. Like, Nice is probably, I don't know what he bought Nice for, for example. But if it was 100 million, there's way more growth in Nice because if you get them through into French you know, the top four, the top three, or challenge PSG to a title, that is much more achievable than buying than buying a club in the Premier League. Well, and then it's either like, you, you've almost got, you've got to win the Premier League. You have to, to win invest the, the stupid amount. Exactly. Always. And you've also, got to spend half a billion to find out. I also yeah. think the Chelsea thing is a great example because it set a precedent of the value of football clubs. And we'll be talking about Everton, Newcastle, etc. in a bit later on in the podcast. Newcastle, 300 million. Chelsea two and a half billion or whatever it was. It might have even been closer to four, I think, by the end. And the Manchester United owners, the Liverpool owners, would be looking at Chelsea, thinking if Chelsea were four, we're worth five, six, seven. And then you start you start pricing people out. And then as you say, the pool of people you can afford to buy clubs is very, very small. Abramovich bought Chelsea for 140 million. That was a lot of money back then. It was twenty years ago. Like talk about about inflation. (laughs) Like Chelsea Mm. what were Chelsea when? Abramovich bought them, probably finishing eighth, ninth. Well, I'd, I would say, I'd maybe say a bit higher. sixth or fifth. Yeah. And they would win the occasional FA Cup. They won one, I think, 97, um, 2000. They won the FA Cup. So, so who's that like buying now? It would, I'd say maybe Spurs or Leicester or maybe even Everton. Yeah, probably. And Everton, Ever, won, and Everton under Moyes when they were kind of in and around the Europa League places. Yeah. But so let's compare Chelsea in 2003 to Everton now. 500 million. You know, that's an inflation of £360 million. Yeah. And for £360 million, pound, you could buy another club. You could buy Newcastle. You could now. buy Newcastle and you could you buy... Oh, let me try and work this out. 
How many Portsmouths? 60 Portsmouths, maybe, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> One Portsmouth, I think you'll agree, is enough. In this. <laughs> yeah, it's more than enough. Um, listen, it's absolute carnage at Everton at the moment. Just to reconfirm, Farhad Mashiri, the owner of Everton, claims the club is not up for sale, but a newspaper report says it is. And just reading an article here, on a website, it says that in an interview with the Everton Fan Advisory Board recorded before Saturday's defeat at West Ham and the dismissal of Lampard, Mashiri said he is only seeking to bring in extra finance in order to help fund the new stadium. The club is not for sale, but I've been talking to top investors of real quality to bridge a gap on the stadium. I can do it myself, but I want to bring top sport investors into Everton. We're close to having a deal done. It's not selling the club at all. It's just bringing more expertise in terms of global sponsorship and commercial development. And a lot of specialist sport investors have this pool of knowledge and it's to secure that for Everton. If you're an investor, so, that's, that's funny. I could do it myself, right. but I want other people to do it. That's that, like, it's like he, me saying, I'd love to buy. He's admitting you know, he doesn't know Hugo enough. Boss suit, but I'd rather somebody else bought it for but he, me. He's you know finally I mean? admitting after all these years that he doesn't know enough about running a football club. Yeah, but does he need investors no. or does he need advisors who know football? Both. I mean, if, if Al Khalifi, PSG's um, owner, he's been on the record that he wants to invest in a club. Mm. I mean, does he want, is he looking to make Everton a more commercial brand or does he actually want to see something good on the pitch? But, I mean, Go and get a good sporting director in terms of That's what he needs. Football finances, right? We know what happened to Arsenal where they moved from Highbury to the Emirates Stadium and Arsene Wenger, with pretty much the same squad for three or four years, had to keep Arsenal in the top four in order for them to be able to facilitate the funding of the building of a new stadium, right? Tottenham Hotspur, we know, weren't able to sign players under Pochettino because they were too busy putting their cash in towards this billion-pound Tottenham Hotspur stadium. Both stadiums, by the way, are incredible venues, and I'm sure Everton's new ground is going to be an incredible venue. But the difference is, those two clubs, although that they suffered on the pitch by putting finances towards the stadium, stayed in the Premier League. If Everton go down and they lose the Premier League money. I know they'll get parachute payments, but you know these things are always thought of in advance. How much of a damaging effect will that have on Mashiri, on the stadium, on Everton's ability to bounce back? You know, It's a massive investment to make, to build a new stadium. Huge investment. Yeah. And you, know, you and have to that, stay in the Premier League as well. Otherwise, you're toast. He made a mistake on that as well because when he, uh, when Mashiri announced this stadium, he, uh, he supposedly said, that it was a price capped stadium. It will not cost more than one and a half billion, I think he said. Um, and literally a, a few weeks ago, some he, he said like, "Oh, it's actually going to cost one point eight or one point nine or something like that." And it was like, "Well, you know, that's it." Sounds like not a lot, like it's point of something, but that point it's four hundred grand. It's an extra hundred million. <laughs> Huh? 400 million. Oh, sorry, 400 million. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That would have been cheap. I'm thick today, I mean, Christ. Uh, yeah, but, you know, 400 million, where's, again, you could buy another club for that. Brilliant. It's staggering amounts of money, and the it just makes no sense. Um, I think Everton have had this sort of thing of, um, you know, we we can be a big boy. Like, we can we can spend that. We, we'll do this. Because if we spend that, we'll, we'll you know, we'll get further up the league, we'll get into Europe, blah, blah, blah. And there's no guarantees. I say this all the time when we talk about ownership in football. Like, it, there's just no guarantees. If one thing goes wrong, it leads to another thing. It's like a domino. And all of a sudden, Everton is staring relegation in the face and having to pay off £2 billion over the next 10 years and trying to come back out the probably the hardest league in the world to get out of to do that. I believe now Everton needs to be a bit cruel to be kind with the club. 
which is get someone in like Sean Dyche who can Jack. save them from relegation. So I feel like they need Premier League status more than Newcastle needed it. The reason is they had the huge investment which would get them out of the championship easy, no worries. They have Farad Mashiri who's going to try and get them out of the championship and I don't believe he'd stick around if that was the case. So I feel, I feel in this scenario they need to be so safe remain in the Premier League and then go on from there but right now if the next manager if the next manager like Vitor Pereira for example I think they're finished in the Premier League I think they're done It's such a shame for me to see what's happening to Everton because they're a proper traditional club and I'd be gutted if they got relegated from the Premier League I know a lot of people aren't too bothered if they are or they aren't but for me personally I don't know why I've always had a bit of a fondness for Everton um, I have family members that support Everton and stuff like that and it's just so sad to see what's happening at a great football club I mean they've had a lack of success for what it's been 25 27 years or whatever since they last won the premier uh, last won an FA Cup or something like that so you can't really you know expect them to be winning stuff but it shouldn't be in the relegation zone I mean that's just that's madness but you know that is the Premier League it's a brutal ruthless league and you've been sending in some questions some of them to do with Everton some of them to do with the changing fortunes at Newcastle United and some to do with the rather middling Chelsea Football Club at the moment. We'll get on to those next here on Football Social Daily. Final part of today's FSD. Welcome back to the show. And on a Thursday, we do something called AQA, which stands for Any Questions Answered, All Questions Answered, Whatever you want to call it, just send your messages into us via social media. Anything that has an A Q and A, and the middle word is question, <laughs> then it doesn't matter. Um, but get them into us on social media at FSD Pod is the Twitter handle. You can get in touch with us there. Avocado send your questions, questions in. Answered. What's that? Avocado questions. Any answered. questions about avocados? Yep. We'll happily answer them. Aberdeen, if you're an Aberdeen fan, still reeling from the loss to Darvel, oh, then yeah. let us know. <laughs> Aberdeen questions answered. Um, but no, any questions answered and. And they all come from you. And the first one we're going to tackle today comes from Paul. And this is the question I discussed with you guys earlier on in the show. Who needs a trophy more? Manchester United or Newcastle United? I think we should do this like a the gloves are off style boxing promo. And we'll come to you first, Joel. Turn your chair around and sit on the back of it like they do. <laughs> get a bit of water right. just in case. Get a bit of water just in case I need to dash it at you. All right. <laughs> Round one. <laughs> If Joel. it wasn't a swivel chair, I think he'd do it. It's gonna, <laughs> I, I'm going to wrap him round. You're going to look worse. <laughs> All right, who needs a trophy more, Manchester United or Newcastle United? I'll let you argue the case for your club, Joel. Yeah, I think in terms of just going to the next level, and in terms of the team believing again, I think that a, a trophy is just absolutely crucial because I know Newcastle's wait for a trophy has been a lot longer, and that's probably why they maybe have a little bit more of an argument than us. But it's the fact that it's... Six years to not win a, a title or anything full stop is a long time for a club like Manchester United. And I think for this club to then go on and do big things like win a Premier League, win a Champions League, you always have to start with a foundation. I mean, look at Arsenal at the moment. They started with an FA Cup. I know they didn't do great after that, but now they're going on to bigger and better things. And I always think a foundation is necessary in terms of getting that winning mentality. So I think in terms of instilling belief in, in the club again, this is this this or the FA Cup or the Europa League, just a trophy is something just as a springboard to go. And I think it's just massively necessary for us because I think next season is going to be one where we're going to be punching really above our weight, I think. All right. Marley, your turn to just like Marley punch is back. Now. <laughs> um, 
Joel makes a good point, but why did Newcastle United need a trophy more than Manchester United? We need a trophy more because we don't know what one looks like. <laughs> um, you know, we haven't won anything since 1969. Um, that was the uh, the Fairs Cup, which then became the UEFA Cup and then the Europa League. Um, we got to two FA Cup finals in 99 and 2000, got beat by Man United in one, Arsenal in the other. Ooh, retribution. Very then, tasty. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, we could have stopped them doing the treble, but we didn't. Um, yeah, Pompey did Portsmouth, that. Yeah, yeah Portsmouth <laughs> did that as well a few years later. Yeah, um, but no, I think um, I think I think this is a straightforward argument. I I think this is Newcastle need this more than Man United because because of that reason and because of the new era. You need silverware um, sooner rather than, not maybe not sooner rather than later, but at some point soon because you know if we if you go five years down the line and the new regime has not won anything. You get all the clickbait journals going. Oh well, you know they spent all this money and you've not done anything. Uh, you've not actually won anything and all this. But if you get something uh, way sooner than yeah, anyone, yeah. everyone expected, like if you said to me you'll win a Carabao Cup three years after your investment, I'd have said brilliant. Yeah, it's and gonna come though, isn't it? I mean, that's what I say. I feel it's like gonna you're, come. Fa- you're fast tracked. Like, what's that's another what year? Exactly. To be now. You've yeah, waited so, fifty odd, sixty years, whatever it is. Yeah. What's What's another year for Newcastle fans waiting? Exactly. Because like, the football's my, so much my better than it was. in the year we, we last won a trophy. And yeah. unfortunately, I'm not counting the Intertoto Cup of yeah. 2006. Which is ridiculous for a club like title. Newcastle United, isn't it? It's ridiculous. You know, they should have been more successful. And like you say, in the 90s, you reached some cup finals and stuff and mm. got beaten by Manchester United. And yeah, I think it's a really interesting debate. As well. So there's history there. 1996 yeah. season, you know, blew a 12-point lead with... <laughs> Five games, seven games to go, something like that, whatever it Kevin was. Kevin Keegan, veins Kevin popping Keegan. out of his head. Yeah, I would love it if we beat them and all oh, that sort brilliant. of stuff. Absolutely you know. brilliant. Iconic Premier League moment. Um, great question, Paul. I'm sure we'll find out the answer before too long. As long as Marley's mob go and beat them lot from St. Mary's <laughs> and don't bottle it, I swear to God. Do not bottle it, Newcastle. <laughs> otherwise, all, like, this, all please, this talk's out the window. Please, otherwise the tenor will be going to Joel. <laughs> the tenor will be going to Joel's charity of choice. Um, A month today, we uh, might find we out. Will, we will oh, yeah. find out indeed. Right, talking about Newcastle, we're also going to talk about Everton, as we already have done on today's podcast, uh, by virtue of Daz's question. And he says, if Everton is allegedly worth £500 million, was Newcastle United underpriced at £300 million? Are they similar-sized clubs? I mean, in terms of what they've won, Everton's a clear winner, isn't it, in terms of their, their titles? In, in the last 50 years, yeah. So if you're going off that, then okay, that's fine. But then I contradict myself because I'm a Manchester United fan. Liverpool have more official titles than us in terms of altogether. So I don't want to go down that road. But is it about titles? No, I think no, it does it's, play it's, into every, it, it's everything in general. I mean, Newcastle, when right you look now, at now, Newcastle are in the top four race and Everton are in the relegation zone. They've got a new stadium. They could be in the championship next season. Yeah, but that's very, very current, isn't it? I mean, you have to look at it as a whole. Newcastle have got, you know, the stadium, which is a huge factor, a huge fan base. So have Everton, though. I feel like Everton are just lagging behind in terms of the modern times. I think Newcastle are way, way more up to speed. Um, it's easily, it's easy for us to sway our opinion because they've been taken over and because they're in the top yeah. four and because they're on the way up and Everton are like on the brink of catastrophe. I think like it's a little bit easy for us to say, oh, Newcastle are bigger. But in terms of more history and historic club, I feel like Everton for sure. Yeah. Um, way before our time, of course, I don't know the true extent of how it was to be never you know, an Everton relegated. fan in the 80s and 70s. In I'm 70 sure it's incredible. years or something, they've never been relegated. Right, so I mean, that's, that's, that's history, it's historic. That's not a flex, by the way. 
this whole thing they've never been relegated in the Premier League is just such a poor thing. It's like saying a boxer's never been knocked out, but if you've lost 12 times in 15 fights, you're still crap. <laughs> still got a chin, though. <laughs> Do you think, <laughs> no, I've not still been knocked out. Do you think Newcastle are a bigger box. club than Everton? Say again? Do you think Newcastle are a bigger club than Everton? Of course I do, yeah. Is that because you're a Newcastle fan? Or <laughs> well, probably. Do you genuinely... Probably, but when... You, you often get this... Um, get this... Who's bigger than who debate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, sometimes it happens with, you know, Aston Villa and, and Everton, Aston Villa and Newcastle and, you know, uh, Chelsea and yeah. uh, Arsenal or Chelsea and Tottenham, yeah. whatever. We've won a Champions League and you haven't, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But for me, I think the bigger club comes down to global reach and fan base. And for me, the biggest, the, the clearest argument I can give you on this is if you walk through Newcastle, and you pick 10 people off the street and say, who do you support? Nine of them support Newcastle. And one of them's lost and has gone from Sunderland for a day out. If you walk through Liverpool and you ask 10 people, you pick them off the street, I'd say probably seven support Liverpool and three support Everton. Mm. If you can't be the biggest team in your city, you can, for me, be bigger as a club and as an investment than a, than a team which is a one-club city. That's why Leeds are so big. That's when Newcastle uh, have got the fan base they have. Yeah, but and that's a bit unfair get... because you're rivaling Sunderland and they're rivaling Liverpool with one of the most successful teams in football. Right, but that still makes them that still makes them a smaller a smaller club, a smaller in, I guess. in the grand scheme of things. If you can't be the best in your city, in terms of football like tourism, before, the you, amount you, of people that go to Liverpool not just to watch Liverpool but to watch Premier League football as a whole, because that's kind of the way the game's going, isn't it? You get tourist fans mm. who go to Liverpool to watch either an Everton or our Liverpool game. Yeah. I think that there's probably a lot of people that have been to an Everton match on that basis. I think that there's probably an element of that. I'd say that happens more than Newcastle. So I'd say that in terms of mm. global fan base, I'd say that there's an argument to suggest Everton have as many fans as Newcastle, but the Newcastle support base is far more loyal when you boil it down to the core. There's far more loyal Geordies than there is... Evertonians in the city of Liverpool, which really is, I though? guess, I think so. Yeah, I think there's more people, as Marley said, in Newcastle that support Newcastle than in Liverpool that support Everton. I think, I think there is. I mean, I the, the, it's hard to say that though, this because is when you're in the argument. area where Everton yeah, are, but, I mean, it's the most passionate fans I think I've ever seen I, in my oh, life. hundred yeah, percent. But, but what's you, that to do with the value of the, of the club? It's Stanley Park, which separates the, the pair of them. There's Half more Nottingham the Forest there fans than there fans. is Notts County fans. And Notts County have a brilliant stadium, Meadow Lane. It's 25,000 seats, beautiful little ground, traditional old football ground, oldest professional club in the world. Nottingham Forest are still the bigger club, and it's not even close. And and Notts County have a great stadium. I mean, the two Champions Leagues help. Absolutely. But I suppose the point is, this conversation, well, we're, we're talking about value of the football <laughs> clubs. What is value now to an investor? growth but they've got Everton have got a new stadium on the way but like I said before you've for Everton to be the team they've first got to be the team in their city like they they have to overshadow Liverpool and Liverpool have had you know Joel mentioned before more more trophies than anyone and it's still the most successful in English England, team yeah. in, in history so mm. how how can you grow as a bigger like if you can't be bigger than Liverpool, it's going to take twenty years of Everton finishing above Liverpool and winning trophies before the next generation come through and go. Well, Everton, the best team in like our kids, for example, would be arguing 
that Everton would be bit would be better than Liverpool at the earliest. Maybe our grandkids, and that's if if Everton outperform Liverpool for the next twenty years, because that's how long it's going to take to to shift to shift perception. Who's the best team in Liverpool right I hate now? These so then nobody a, would. I hate these sorts of questions, though. What's more? So valuable? then, a Tottenham bigger than Newcastle, or a Newcastle because Tottenham aren't the bigger than Arsenal. What? <laughs> Hang on, what? So like, yeah, they're not bigger than Arsenal. Are they bigger than Newcastle? Don't know. It's a debate. Because they're not bigger in the city, but I would say they probably are. London, on, on what the basis? commercial value. Yeah, nope. the, the, the brand, the, the way in which they have been in the last 15 years to current yeah. times. Tottenham's a bigger brand than Newcastle. Are they a bigger But then club? they're very, very far behind Arsenal, massively far behind Arsenal. But I think this is the thing. I mean, this is why it's such I don't a horrible think question. Between Newcastle and Tottenham. Personally. I think it's such a horrible question because it is, in this country... It's very, sub, it's very, it's yeah. very subjective. Because in, subjective. in this country, in my opinion, if you asked British football fans, Tottenham would be considered a bigger club than Newcastle. And also, if you go... Sorry, it'd probably be more level. If you go abroad and you asked, I don't know, 100 Asian fans, name five Premier League clubs, oh, Tottenham, Tottenham would crop up more times than yeah. Newcastle United would, I think. Personally, but then again, what's what is the debate? You know, who's it's a different quote, though, is it? Is that's a it's different ridiculous. quote? You can do it on so many different you know, quotes, value, as kind of values based yeah, on yeah, assets yeah. and all sorts of stuff is a horrible, horrible question. So, nice one, Daz, for descending <laughs> Football Social Daily into absolute chaos today. Uh, so we're going to end up with a nicer question. This one's from Jess. Uh, I think, did you get in touch last week as well, Jess? Chelsea signed Mo Salah nine years ago, this transfer window. Do they regret selling Salah and De Bruyne, et cetera, et cetera? Or are they okay with it as they've still been successful in the time since then? For example, Chelsea have won the same amount of Champions Leagues as Manchester City and Liverpool in the time since they sold Salah. Really good question. Makes you think, because we always talk, Joel, don't we, about Chelsea and the ones that got away. I mean, Lukaku left Chelsea without really having a chance, came back, and obviously it was a disaster. But in the meantime, between he let him leaving and coming back, scored a load of goals. De Bruyne goes and becomes the best player on the planet for a period, you know, after leaving Chelsea. Mo Salah, one of the best imports from Africa, if not the best that the Premier League has ever seen, and an unbelievable player, all used to play for Chelsea. But Jess is right. Chelsea won the Champions League. Liverpool have won one Champions League with Mo Salah since then. Manchester City have won no Champions League since then, including Kevin De Bruyne being there. So will Chelsea fans kind of shrug and be like, no, it's cool, we're not bothered? Under the Roman Abramovich era, no one was ever a loss going out of the club. That's like the bottom line because that was what the model was built on. They've lost some incredible managers. Well, not lost, they sacked incredible managers. They let go of incredible players. Obviously, hindsight is the most beautiful thing in life, isn't it? Because when you look back, you can see who was the greatest and who wasn't. And um, I'm sure, you know, when Salah and De Bruyne were there, they just weren't ready. And Chelsea at that time and Abramovich, they didn't have the time to wait for these players. When you're trying to win titles, they didn't have... The managers had so much pressure from above knowing that if they didn't produce in that season, they were gone. They didn't have time to blood in the likes of Salah and De Bruyne and a young Lukaku because there was a more glitzy, glamorous, you know, the likes of Shachenko in that kind of mould or there was the likes of Balak on a free, you know, these kind of ones that were easily bought instead of reigning through young talent. And that was the way it was under the Bramovich era. And the bottom line was it was a success because like she said, they won champ, a champ, another Champions League after that. 
They won. A, they had an amazing season with Antonio Conte when they were the first Premier League team to get 30 wins in a season. Mm. And obviously, that's been eclipsed now. But I mean, these are just examples of the success. And, and so you can't really say it was a failure because, I mean, yeah. it's easy to say now that they've gone on to do better things. But yeah. who's to say they would have done that at Chelsea? I and don't think and so. both players went off to other clubs, didn't they? As you say, you know, Salah went off to Roma. Fiorentina and before Fiorentina, that, yeah. and, and De Bruyne went off to Wolfsburg and came back and they were excellent players. And even De Bruyne was being written off on Sky Sports, that famous quote from, you know, all of the Sky Sports lot with Jeff Stelling about, you know, 50 million for this lad, he can't be worth it. You know, Kevin De Bruyne. There's a record at the time. It's proven them all wrong. But I think that is an important point because, yes, it's nine years, this window since Chelsea bought Mo Salah and it didn't work. But during that time, Chelsea had Eden Hazard, Marley, who was one of the best players in the league and helped them win a couple of titles. So at that point, it wasn't a mistake by Chelsea. So it's one of those things where, you know, how, how long does a player have to be away for and come back before it's considered a mistake by a club? You, you know, these things are always judgmental. Mm. Um, I think with, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of players who needed to move to be, to become the player they are now. Um, I was, well, it's often said uh, said to me that, you know, Newcastle should never have sold Ivan Tony for for. 400 grand to uh, mm. was it Northampton Town I think we yeah. sold him to and yep. my argument back is he would never have got the games and, and been the player he is if he'd stayed in Newcastle because he wasn't in the team uh, the difference between an argument like that and an argument like the De, the De Bruyne and Salah things is they already had potential that's why Chelsea signed him in the first place yeah. but they weren't moved um, they weren't um, given the chance they weren't put in the team and, and put in the best position and all that type of stuff and there is proof in their careers since that they've gone on to be that player. So I think all they needed at that time was a chance. Mm. Um, and I don't think they got enough of a chance. I think, remember, Chelsea had a lot of players at the time. Yeah. Well, they've always got, they've always had a lot of players, haven't they, really? But yeah. but for every Salah and De Bruyne, there's an Oriol Romeo who's just a steady Premier League player for yeah. a few years. Ryan Bertrand. Yeah. You know, but Marco Marion, I can think of loads of them. And there wasn't any signs with those two when they first played. They were decent, but they just went on to another level, like you said. It's like Pogba, for example. Perfect example. If he stayed at United, he probably wouldn't have become what he is or what he was. Mm. Maybe, but... You never know. There could have been, with the right coaching. Think about it, like, they went away. Like, De Bruyne went away. Where did he go? Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, yeah. Got a chance. Built the team around him. Right, you're in the team. They won the you're Bundesliga. You're in the team every week, lad, right? What he what he set up? Uh, who was up front for them? Was it Vegas at the time, or was it uh, <laughs> so whoever it was? You know, he'll provide you the goals. He's he's good enough. So if you give someone that belief, then they become the player. Obviously, it takes a big risk when at a club like Chelsea to put like a twenty-two-year-old De Bruyne in there and say, right, he's our new man. When you've got Lampard and you've got Balak and all these sort of players, it it is a big risk. But the proof is there that if if he was was given that chance, he could have been this player that he is now. Might have been even better. Think about playing in a, a, a team as good as Chelsea from, you know, for for the last 10, 12 years. Like, it's it's um, scary, really. But they spent the money on him. They just didn't give the didn't give him the chance. They clearly knew there was a player there, but didn't give him a chance. So mm. it is, it's, it's sliding doors moments in it of, uh, of players' careers. I'll give you a fiver if you can guess the front three for Wolfsburg that season. They finished second in the Bundesliga, 14-15 season. I presume to buy Munich. Uh, so Kevin De Bruyne, De Bruyne is obviously not in it. Not in it. Oh, was it Claudio Pizarro? 
It wasn't. De Bruyne was Bastos. one of the midfield players. Bastos. That's who I was thinking of when I said Vega. I remember the lanky guy. Bastos. Yeah. And can you name the other two is players? An, is it Andre Schürrle? Andre Schürrle, yeah. <laughs> is there one more? There is. Is it? One what is you've he got, you've right got one guess. Is, is, is not Chal, Chal Aglu, is it's it? It's not. I don't actually have a fiver on me, so... Is it Marco <laughs> Oh, wow. It, it's not. It's uh, Nicholas Bentner. No, Jesus. Hey, I got the Bentner. third. Hey, that three, I don't know where I digged out in the depths of my mind. Wow. <laughs> Done well there. Naldo was in the squad. Um, Naldo, big guy. And Tim Close was the uh, defensive centre-half. Went to Norwich, didn't he? Norwich, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, Perisic was in the team, team as well. Great team, that as well. Ivan Perisic was in the team. Good team, that. Yeah, really good team. Finished second in the Bundesliga and Kevin De Bruyne, of course, has gone on to amazing things. Great question, Jess. Love when you send your questions into us on a Thursday, guys. Keep doing it. We appreciate your support as ever. Follow us on social media at FSDpod. That's the place to send in the questions. And if you like the podcast, then please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts. A lovely little five-star review. We always love hearing from you wherever you're listening to the show in the world so make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss any further episodes including any of the ones we've got with Premier League players they are worth listening to including the latest one with Brian McClare we've got Matt Jarvis coming up next week we've got another Manchester United legend in the pipeline someone who won the Premier League with Leicester City so we've got some good stuff coming up for you so make sure you don't miss it but from Joel Marley and I that is it and we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.